Today we're coming out of Genesis 15. We'll be reading the first seven verses out of Genesis 15 today, and I really feel like that it's going to be a, a great encouragement to everyone who's here in the room and those who are listening online. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. We are grateful to be a part of a corporate body um, and to come in and to get around God's Word. There is plenty in this world to give us fear. Fear is a motivator. Take, for instance, how most parents parent. I'm going to yank a knot in your head if you don't do what I tell you to do. Don't make me come after you. Fear moves people to do things, to step into line and, and do what they should do. I remember when I was young, there were two ways that uh, when I really got in trouble. My parents loved me greatly and I still love them and we have a great relationship, but there were times that I needed discipline and that fear was what it took to get me there. There were two things that I could not stand hearing when I knew I was in really bad trouble. One was the flapping of the belt coming through the belt loops. And I was thinking, please be my brother, please be my brother, please be my brother. And the other was, hey, Daniel, I need you to go outside and get a hickory switch. How many, how many of you in here know what I'm talking about? Okay, that we've kind of gone away from that. Um, but that's another sermon. <laughs> fear motivates. However, fear is not where we're supposed to be when we're walking with Christ. Fear also debilitates. Fear also freezes. Fear also keeps us from moving forward and growing in our walk with Christ as we should. And we see in Genesis chapter 15, after Abram has just come out of a war to save his brother, or his nephew, but brother in faith, uh, Lot, to bring him home, we see these words in the first verse of 15. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You see, God did not want to bring promise to Abram while he was in fear. He wanted Abram to be in the right frame of mind to be able to receive the truths of what God was going to tell him. And I know that with all that's going on around the world and the unknowns and the uncertainty things that we face every day and we hear this story about this and that story about this and they're conflicting, we don't know what to do and then that little bit of a gnawing in the back of our mind starts coming to the forefront of fear about you name it. And fear is not where God wants us to dwell. Fear of the unknown allows our imagination to just run crazy. And so God spoke to Abram and said, fear not. Fear not. Why would he want him not to fear? One, because God saw the picture differently than 
Abram probably was, but also because he wanted him to have a clear mind, a clear heart to receive what was coming next. And if it's been a long time since you've heard from the Lord, maybe it's possible you've allowed fear to build a wall to that relationship that you had before God. Because at the very bottom foundation, these are one of those generalized statements that sometimes gets me in trouble, but the very bottom realization is fear comes from a lack of faith. And we need to call that out in our lives. So let's, re- let's read on, starting at verse 2, and then we'll just kind of go on through. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed, in the, he be, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. In chapter 14, when we talked through it, we were looking at Abram's actions. We were looking at his motion that he had of going and getting Lot. So these are the actions that took place. And when he came out of those actions, he was blessed by God through Melchizedek. And so as that blessing comes in now, chapter 15 takes us into the emotion of Abraham. And it's a, it's a very revealing thing for us because we all know that we a lot of times are driven by our emotions. Our emotions sometimes can take over. Our emotions sometimes can rule what is going on in our thought process. Our emotions is what allows anger to boil up in our hearts and then it spills out into venom in our relationships that we have with other people. Our emotions were placed there by God. So emotion is not sin, but we have to keep it in check. So today in chapter 15, we get to look at Abram's emotion. And I believe that the text is going to encourage us today. This passage deals with the matter of Abram's faith, the faith that he had. And you say, well, my goodness, Abram's already left his homeland and kind of moved across, you know, that particular area. Doesn't he already have strong faith? This is where we see the kingpin of Abram's life, the difference maker. We'll see it in a verse in just a moment. But we see that in Abram's life, what is happening here is a step toward maturity. He was maturing in his faith. He was maturing in his walk. He was maturing in who he was before God. And you and I should always be moving toward maturity in our walk with God. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Faith is like a muscle. 
Our faith in God is like a muscle, and we have to exercise that faith for it to be stronger. That's why the Lord allows us to go through problems. That's why he leads us through difficulty. Now notice I didn't say God causes the difficulty, but God leads us through the difficulty. Even though he has the power to lead us around it, he chooses to lead us through it so that we will mature in him. About 15 years ago, give or take a few years, I had gone to lunch and I was coming back from lunch and it was pouring down rain and just right out here across from Brawley Middle School, I was focusing on my windshield. And subconsciously, my brain said, hey, this is about how slow it seemed, hey, the car in front of you just stopped. You might consider applying your brakes. <laughs> That's how you play it out. And it took another second and a half for my foot to hit the brake a little too hard. I hydroplaned right into the back of this lady. And so I got out, talked to her. She was super nice. She was not mean in any way. It was just a kind of a exchange of information. Here's my insurance information. Here's everything. And I look at her car. and She's got a little scratch about this big. The front of my car was demolished. Because what had happened was, was when I, I put on brakes, I hydroplaned, and right before I hit her, my tires grabbed the concrete and my car lunged down. And I went right up underneath her. So her car kind of lifted and mine accordioned. And, and I couldn't help but think to myself later on, God, why'd you let that happen? You know, you could have done anything to prevent that from happening. Why'd you, why'd you let that happen? See, error number one, God was not driving the car, I was. I knew the rules were to keep my eyes on the road ahead, not the windshield in front of my face. I had my eyes in the wrong place, I was focused on the wrong thing, and I crashed. But I circled back around of, God, you know what you could have done? You could have, like when I slammed on brakes, caused, caused the back end to to slide around, and I could have slid right around that lady, waved at her as I went by, and come around this way. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things God could have caused happen, and then I, then I say this. This is what's killer in our walk with our relationship with the Lord. And then I say this, and that would have been a powerful thing that I would have given you all the credit for. Yeah. That's immaturity, by the way. That's immaturity, and God walked me through that incident. He walked me through the insurance deal. He walked me through all kinds of different things that came as a result of that. He walked me through it to mature me, to, to grow me. Because you crash, you immediately go, oh no, how can I get out of this? You look at your car and say, there is no getting out of this. You play it over in your head a thousand times of what you could have done. You start thinking, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of already stretched in my budget. I've got insurance, but I know that insurance is not going to cover certain things. Then my insurance is going to go up. How am I going to be able to pay for this? And fear starts setting in and gripping. And I start going, oh no, where are you, God? You could have prevented this. And he's saying, I knew that was coming. I've got you. And that's what he wants us to pull out of this text.
So don't give someone a hard time if they're going through a hard time. Don't judge someone if they're facing difficulty. They may be the cause of it, situations may be the cause of it, and you may be able to look in on that situation and go, well, that wouldn't have happened if... And you can armchair coach someone else's life so beautifully. But know that in the midst of whatever it is they're going through, God's desire is to mature them in their faith if they're a believer. If they're not a believer, God's allowing them to go through that to get their attention so they will be redeemed and become a believer. If you see someone going through a hard time, our response is to lift them up in prayer. Pray for them, that they will grasp God's wisdom. You see, when we read this text about Abram, we see that um, his faith was counted as righteousness to him, but we need to understand how we break this down. Here's a statement that you can kind of sink your teeth into. Behind the stars was the promise. Behind the promise was God himself. And we'll see in just a moment that it's very clear Abram didn't believe because of the promise only. He believed God. Because he believed before the promise was actually fulfilled. The promise was just made. And that's what's most important. Abram's faith was in God. And our faith should be built on God, not just the things that he does for us. We have to get beyond the material things that we're visually seeing and live in the sight of the way God takes us. So we're going to look at two words today, behold and believe. Behold and believe. Behold is said in this particular text a couple times, and believe is kind of the linchpin to the whole thing that makes the pendulum shift. Genesis 15.1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold. The word behold means look at this. It's like here's the evidence. Look. Look at what you're seeing. Behold. How many of you have said the phrase before, lo and behold? That's a storytelling technique, right? You're telling the story of, of this happened, and now you've got the person that are gripped, they're on the edge of their seat listening to the story, waiting for the outcome and the ending, and then you say, and lo and behold, you know what happened? Okay, come on. You guys look at me with a blank stare. How many of you said it before? Lo and behold. All right, there's a few that said that. You've heard that before. It's, it's look at this. It's pay attention to this. It's behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Eleazar of Damascus, uh, we find out later, was actually just a servant of of. Abram and his family, probably the lead servant in his family, that was over kind of the logistics of his family. And because he had no blood heir in, in line for him, he would have been rightfully the one to take over the inheritance. It's interesting that 
Abram names him Eleazar of Damascus, and when it gets to God's response, he doesn't name him. He says, this will not be your heir. He doesn't personalize it at all. He's saying, your view of what you see happening is not what's happening. So Abram is now reminded of what God has done for him. God has told him to fear not. And then he seeks further clarification by saying, okay, so you do have me. You are my shield, but you've promised me a land and you've told me that my generations after me are going to be as the dust of the ground. What have you given me? I'm still childless. So he's, he's asking for clarification The interesting thing in this is that God responds with behold. You see, Abram is, he's, he's putting his case out there, right? He's saying, God, you've told me this, and you've shown me this, but you've also promised me this, and this is what's here. Behold what I'm seeing. And God looked back at him and said, behold. Look at this in verse 4. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. What's happening here? Abram is saying, Look at my situation. All the evidence that is before me is this, and I don't see a way out of it. You told me this, but I'm not seeing any result. And God said, look at who I am and what I've told you. What is God saying? You're only seeing half of the picture, Abram. You're only seeing half of what's actually going on because you're looking at it with your eyes, and I'm telling you to look at it with my eyes. Now, there's more in the message, but let's stop there for just a moment, and let's allow that truth to speak to our hearts today. When we're in the middle of fear, we're in the middle of a tough situation, we're in the middle of a crisis, we're in the middle of something going on in our lives that we don't quite understand, we tend to look at the evidence we have before us, and we think that that's the full story. And what God is promising us is that he views it differently. Almost always, God views our situation differently than we do. Almost always. And what we need to do is behold that situation like God beholds it. That's going to flip the script on some of the things that we're facing in this world today. It's going to kind of put a new uh, level of God's authority into the mix. Because we tend to say things like, well, seeing's believing. I'll believe it when I see it. And we use that with our kids, right? I want you to clean your room. Yeah, I'm going to. Next day, I want you to clean your room. Yeah, I'm going to. And we respond with, I'll believe it when I see it. And then we apply that to our spiritual walk as God deals with us. And we want to say to him, I'll believe it when I see it. But that's not what Abram did. He didn't say, I'll believe it when I see it. He was having a conversation with God, an emotional conversation with God. And so God said, behold. 
Behold and look at it the way I look at it. Then he said, believe. Verse 6 says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Believe the Lord could actually also be translated believed in the Lord. Abram believed in the Lord. Now, that's a very small nuance in our vocabulary, but it is a huge difference for us spiritually to recognize the difference that's there. Believing that God may do something is one form of believing. Believing in God is a total different ballgame. So let me kind of explain it like this. We have our past of where God has worked with us and we've seen him move and he's done things for us and we tend to kind of uh, capsulize those as God moments, God stories. Let me tell you a God-sized story. And they're important, by the way, for our faith. They're important for our fellowship. They're important for edifying the body. That's why we come together. It's so we can share on Sundays the God stories we've seen happen this past week to build the body up, to say, yes, God is still moving. They're important. But then we also have on the other side these things that we're hoping God's going to do. I'm praying that God will work in this particular problem in my life. I'm praying that he will move this in a particular way. I'm praying that this will be fixed. And what we don't realize is the difference in the nuance of what's said there in our belief has to be this. We do not hang our faith on this nor this. I am in the moment with God and my faith is in him through Jesus Christ. In the moment, because what's wrong with pinning my faith on this and this is this. (laughs) That's a lot of this is. I'm always expecting, and my faith is weaker when it doesn't happen the way I wanted it to. But when I'm in the middle of a problem and I'm in the moment and I'm in my shoes, I am here standing here looking at God and I am, I am having faith in him, who he is, then what happens here and what happens here is just icing on the cake. My behold is now not on the evidence of what's before me. My behold is on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I can view this and this from his point of view, which changes my whole entire perspective of my life. One of my biggest desires is that I see people fall more desperately in love with Jesus Christ every single day. But you know what's stopping it? Fear and faith focused in the wrong place. So, our faith must be retrospect and prospect, but the big and is us in the middle as we are believing in God. Small, seemingly small nuance in the language that we use But I am not pinning my faith in the creator of the universe based on what he has or has not done for me because the way I think things should happen. 
I am pinning my faith on the creator of the universe based on the promises that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do, and that's where my faith hangs. And then when I go through a situation, I behold that situation from his point of view, and I can see it kind of on the outside looking in, and I can mature in my faith as I walk through it. Every situation that happens in our life, we should be more mature in our faith on the other side of it than we were before we went through it. If you're not more mature in your faith after you come out of a difficulty, you're not doing something right. And this world certainly gives us enough situations and fear and things to deal with, doesn't it? And so God's saying, behold the world the way I behold it. Look at these situations the way I look at it. We can behold in him. That righteousness thing that's said in there that that he believed in the Lord and it was counted as righteousness to him is a huge statement, so huge that we find it repeated in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4 verse 3, for what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, connected Galatians 3, 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as as righteousness connected. You say, well, that sounds like the same verbiage. Well, that was written by Paul. He certainly got it, but he's not the only one. It's also found in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. The Hebrew word translated believe means to lean your entire weight on to it. You believe completely. It would be like me climbing up on this table and sitting on it, which I do not have faith it would hold me. But to believe that it would, would be for me to have faith to get a chair, step up on it, and just plop right down on this thing. That's what's being talked about there is total belief. And we tend to think that we can motivate or move God or that it's things that we do for him that brings about righteousness. It's things we do for him that brings about a stronger faith. That's not it at all. And that's actually the cart before the horse. That's backwards. The true thing is this. We're not saved by making promises to God, but by believing the promises of God. That's how we're saved. It's not based on anything we do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not about what you and I bring to the table, because if we were to talk about what you and I bring to the spiritual table, it's yuck. In fact, Scriptures tell us that When we bring our best, it is viewed as filthy rags because God is so holy. God is so righteous. God is so good. God is so perfect, and we fall far, far short of that. You see, our biggest need that we have in our lives in believing is righteousness, but no one is righteous. 
Romans 3 tells us this. Romans 3, 10 through 18, it says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. These is Paul writing in Romans, and he is quoting Psalms and Proverbs, and he's, he's putting it out there. This is the case. No one is righteous. We don't bring righteousness to the table. But then we go on down to Romans 3. 21 and read from there and it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who have believed. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, means a purchase of, by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was, to sh- it was to show his righteousness at the present time in my shoes so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Behold and believe. Behold and believe. Whatever it is that you're facing, behold and believe. On the cross, Jesus took on himself all of our sins. He took our unrighteousness, and and a good Bible theological word is imputed to him. What's that mean? It It was put into his account. Our sins was put into his bank account, and his bank account was so robust that it completely wiped it out and wiped it clean. But when you and I stand before God, we don't have anything in our bank account. We stand before God in the negative. We stand before God in debt. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, that he is who he said he is, and that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and we ask him to come into our lives because we realize we need righteousness, and the only way to get righteousness before God is through Jesus Christ. When we realize that and ask him to do that, Jesus takes the bank account of his righteousness and he places it into our bank account so that we too appear as righteous before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know where righteousness before God leads? It leads to friendship 
with God. And we allow fear and situations and difficulties to come in between that communion with God and we view it and behold it like with all that we can see. We don't know what God's going to do. And so our faith kind of roller coasters all over the map and we just kind of up and down, up and down in our walk with God and we don't know what today's going to bring. And he's saying, I want you to be a level-headed, always maturing individual in me, climbing to be more in communion with me. A big thing to pull out of the scripture text today is this. Abram was counted as righteousness not when he believed the promise that took him out of the land of Ur, but when he believed the promise in the seed to come. When he believed in God and the seed to come is when he was considered righteous. It's not simply faith that saves, but it is faith in Christ. So now we can better understand verse Six, it says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted to him, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The answer to Abram's fear was God's presence. I am. Now you can kind of understand a little bit more why God said, go tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. He's saying in the moment, in the presence of God is where we put our faith and believing in him. And the answer to Abram's concern was God's promise, I will. That goes to us as well. Being in the presence of God in the middle of our fear, being in the presence of God in the middle of our emotional downfall so that his presence takes away the fear and we can begin to focus on his promise. I want to read to you from a book that I go to first before I dive in too deep of study. Uh, It's Exploring Genesis by John Phillips, and he speaks about the things that happen in our lives using verse 7, and it's a really small font. All right. He titles this section, The Working of God's Power. Genesis 15, 7. I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit, said God. In mechanics, there is a law that relates to inertia. The property of all matter that makes bodies resist any change in their motion, resist any force that puts them in motion, or that speeds up or slows down or stops them once they are in motion. The law of inertia was applied to my car as it hydroplaned into the back of another car. I needed for the tires to grip the road to stop me in time. But instead, what stopped the inertia of the car moving forward was the bumper of another car. But once motion is moving in a certain direction, it takes power to move it in a different direction. That's where he's going with that. Because of the inertia, 
some outside force must always be applied to produce motion. That physical law can illustrate a spiritual law. Abram was in motion in Ur of the Chaldeans, but he was in motion in the wrong direction. He was headed to a lost eternity. With every passing hour, he gathered momentum. Then suddenly, he was stopped, turned around, and set in motion toward Canaan and toward heaven. God says, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans and give you this land. That was the working of God's power, the building of Abram's family. Then was also the work of God and his power. The same power that flung the stars into space and set them into motion was at work to secure Abram not only a seed, lowercase s, but the seed, capital S. God's power was in play here, and he said, behold, there's more going on here than you don't understand. I do have you, and I am walking with you, and I do have a plan for you, and I am telling you that if you will behold it the way I see it, the fear will release, and you will be able to trust me, and we'll be able to commune, and we'll be able to move forward, and you'll be able to be more mature. We need to stop looking at our difficulty in life as woe is me. And we need to take a look at it from the lens of God's eyes and say, God, what is it you want me to get through this as you mature me? I've said this before. You'll hear me say it again, but I'm going to say it now. If you're the same spiritually today that you were last week, ask yourself, are you walking in faith with God. If you feel like you are spiritually connected to God on the exact same level that you were two months ago, something's missing. Because day in and day out is a walk with the Lord and every day when we get ready to go to sleep should have been something that caused us to reflect on him and to draw closer to him so that he can commune with us. We need to shake off the problems in our lives as problems as woe is me, and we need to greet them with, thank you, Lord, for this problem, because I know you're maturing me in a way that you're going to use later. I don't know exactly what it is, and I'm only beholding what I'm seeing, but I'm going to try to behold it the way you do, because I know you've got me. You promised that. You would never leave me nor forsake me. You would never turn your back on me. And although I'm not really feeling you in this moment, I'm going to focus on this situation from your point of view because you've promised you will walk with me through everything that I go through. And when the world, listen church, when the world starts seeing that kind of response to the ugliness that happens in the world every single day, the world's going to go, huh? What have you got that I don't? That's some good grammar right there, isn't it? What do you got that I don't? Even better, what do you got that I ain't? 
The world needs to take note, and what they're seeing is emotional fighting among us, emotional fighting in the world, but they're not seeing those who say, you know things are crazy, but I got faith in God. Well, how can you have faith in God? Is he going to, it doesn't matter. I just have faith in God. I believe in him. He's in control. It's going to be okay. Do I like what I'm going through? No, I don't like what I'm going through. Would I like to have avoided it? Sure. But you know, God is allowing me for some reason to go through this, and as I'm going through it, I'm going to face it from his point of view and not mine. Behold and believe. 1 John 3.1, purposefully coming out of the message translation, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously, because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. Behold and believe. Let's pray. Father, in my humanness, it is just so easy to get tunnel vision and focus on my here and now that I don't like, to kind of spiral down in why things are so negative and why things are this and why things are that. And that's not where you want me to dwell. You want me to be able to look at the situations that are happening to me in life the way you see it, the way you view it, and the outcome that you already know. So help me to be one that doesn't put my belief in what could happen, doesn't put my belief in what already has happened, but just simply every single day puts my belief in you. Relaxing into the fact that you know the outcome you want me to experience. So help us to focus on your goodness, your righteousness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your justification, and your all-knowing, all-powerful will. God, you and you alone are to be praised. So thank you for the opportunity to commune with you through your son, Jesus, who came and paid the ultimate price and put into my spiritual account righteousness that gives me the ability to even pray to you now. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.